Well, we began just a few weeks ago to look at that title, The Cure for Anxiety in a Pandemic Age. And we just want to take a few weeks really here to talk not about what our, only what about our country and the world is dealing with, but really give you a paradigm of biblical instruction is how to find hope biblically in the times in which we live. And I started in uh, Matthew chapter 6. So turn there and really the last weeks we've been just looking really at an application of Matthew chapter 6. I do hope to, to get there, but in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, specifically in that chapter, four separate times, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us to not be anxious. In fact, you can glance down in 625, he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. In verse 27 of chapter 6, he says, in which of you by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life span. In essence, no one by being anxious is going to be able to lengthen their day. And then if you look down in verse 31, therefore do not be anxious. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? He tells us to not be anxious again or not to be worried again. And then Jesus says a fourth time in verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So there you have an admonition from the Lord Jesus Christ to not be anxious. You know, sometimes we say, can you finish the sentence, ready aim, and what? Fire. Maybe that's your first inclination. Ready, aim, and fire. What I'd like to submit to you this morning is we can restate that to ready, aim, pray. Ready, aim, pray. You know, we just sang that song Blessed assurance. And one of the lines went on to say, I will not be shaken or I won't be shaken. I will not be moved. And that's the confidence that a believer has. Unless you're David Page. David Page, the story will tell us this, that for... Four long hours, if you can imagine this, true story, he was holding a, a cylinder. He was waiting either for his rescue or his immediate death. After digging up what appeared to be an unexploded World War I bomb, David Page held on to this afraid that letting go of that would detonate the device. And so, while he's holding the bomb, the terrified 40-year-old from Norfolk, England, called an emergency operator on his mobile phone. He even used the call to issue his last words for his family. The woman on the phone, the police operator, kept saying to him that it would be okay and Paige said, quote, but I kept saying to her, you're not the one holding the bomb. So the first responders rushed to the workyard in eastern England, and army bomb disposal experts finally arrived, but the drama came to a very abrupt end when the bomb was identified. In fact, what he was holding was part of a hydraulic suspension system from a popular European car. It wasn't a bomb at all. He, was, he dug up something from a popular car. I couldn't help but laugh when I read that. 
that at times we can find ourselves, you can find yourself frozen with fear. And you forget the strength of our great God of blessed assurance, all while clutching to your fear. So four different times the Lord Jesus Christ said, do not be anxious. But we came to that little phrase, look at Matthew 6.30, he'll state it there. At the very end when he talks, will not much more clothe you, and then he said to his disciples there, oh you of little faith, or in the King James, oh ye of little faith. One has called them the oh ye of little faith club. And when I read that connection between the command to not be anxious and that when we show anxiety, it puts us in a place of little faith, it's there and then that, that mind, my mind began to take me to that other part of the scripture. And I want to turn you there once again in the book of Ephesians. And we talked there about the shield of faith. In fact, if you're in Ephesians 6, I would love to read verses 16 through 20 for you for our time. There he's talking about the armor of God. And he says in 6.16 of Ephesians, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. So again, the connection, O ye of little faith, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel." For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. There you see that he begins to uh, unfold for us the components of the armor of God. Now I've told you the last couple weeks, remember as he picks up pen to parchment, he is writing while he is in jail. Just keep that in mind in light of your situation right now. He is most likely chained to a Roman soldier in prison. And he begins to take the physical components of a soldier's armor. And he begins to transform them by the Spirit of God into profound spiritual truths. So that we can live effectively in this world against our enemy. In fact, if you glance back to chapter 6, verse 10, he tells you this morning to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, to put on there in 611 the whole armor of God that you would be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not fight against flesh and blood and so forth. Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. So he wants us to stand firm and so the Lord Jesus Christ has given us this armor, these pieces of armor. And we began a couple weeks ago to look first at the shield of faith. It is given to us a defensive shield, four feet by two and a half feet, called the scutum, which uh, Grant Verhoeven has won that scutum as he contacted me, the first one to name it. But we talked about that shield that would extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, the darts of doubt, the dart of discontent, the dart of discouragement. We said that it's defensive in nature. We noted historically that in the siege of Drachimos, that one of those shields alone had 220 darts stuck in it. And it's better that those darts would hit that shield with the soldier behind. And 
he transforms that for us that the shield is faith. It's not our faith. It's faith in the promises of God. And then we begin to expose then that we can conquer any battle or we can say any anxiety by two offensive weapons that are given. All the other pieces of the armor, it's enough to say, are defensive in nature and we'll come at this at a much fuller treatment when I launch into Ephesians in the weeks to come. I've been getting ready for that. And we'll look at those other pieces, but all the other pieces are defensive in nature. Then as you track down in Ephesians 6, he gives us two offensive weapons. He gives us the Word of God, there listed and cited that we touched on last week, the sword of the Spirit, verse 17, which is the Word of God. And we said it wasn't the broad sword, it was the short sword. And we know that from the teaching of the Word of God. It was more short in nature. It was put in the sheath on the soldier's army and with his left hand having a small shield across his forearm. If he was right-handed, he would take that that dagger, that short sword out, and he would thrust on the offensive of that. And of course, here we looked and we said that that short sword there is the, the Machaira, and the Word of God, which he states that that sword is in verse 17, there's different words for war, word, and this is the word Raymond. We talked last week about using a specific statement of Scripture. The word is not logos, which is the broad meaning of the totality of Scripture of the message. No, in the face of temptation, you take your sword, you thrust with specific statements of the Word of God, and we left off that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both uh, joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So he gives us this armor defensive in nature, and he says, but here is an offensive weapon, and it's called the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But if you could just hold that picture in your mind and go back into the imagery here of a soldier, and you can picture him getting ready for battle, and he begins and he puts that belt of truth on or buckling that belt because the belt's going to be key for him to move swiftly and fast. Then he begins to put on the breastplate. To guard his heart area. And of course, Paul transforms that into the breastplate of righteousness. And I'm sure in the real soldier's picture, not the metaphorical use, there were lacerations all over that breastplate. And he transforms that. Then he begins to lace up his boots. And I'm not sure what you're thinking when you think of these uh, boots. It was not a sandal. It was kind of a thick boot, if you will, and the bottom of that boot was long spikes coming, you know, out of the bottom so that the soldier would be able to hold his ground, and he transforms that there in the scripture, and then the soldier would take the shield, and that four by two, two and a half foot shield would extinguish the physical darts that would come in, and then he took up the helmet of salvation, and then the, the sword of the spirits. And if you can imagine this soldier getting ready to go into the battle, as the enemy approaches, what does he do? And this is what Paul says for us this morning. He bows in prayer. He, if you will, pulls us, pulls you down on your knees for prayer. And there's a reminder here in verse 18, beloved, and you have to see this, that the armor doesn't just magically turn on. In fact, over and over, he says, take up that armor. You have a responsibility. Take up that shield. In other words, there's some action. He's given you the component, but you've got to act. And here, as you take up the armor of God, We are to be praying at all times. That's what it says in 16. And so I've titled this message, All Prayer. 
And I'd have to say that I've been doing this for many years, teaching the scripture, uh, over 30, spending most of my week in the word of God. And I, I just, I got to this place on all prayer. And it was so refreshing to me, a reminder to me on the vital importance of prayer in our battle against the evil one, or the vital importance of prayer in our battle against anxiety and worry. Now, let me clarify something for you. Look at verse 18. You'll note there that I think the ESV has translated it correctly. It it opens up and it says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Some translations, I don't want to get too detailed here, they use it as not praying, but pray at all times. And when you do that, it begins to separate it from the armor of God. They interpret, for those of you who are grammarians, as a finite verb, pray at all times. But the text here in the language uses that word as a participle. And what a participle would mean is the translation that you're likely holding in front of you. It would translate it praying at all times. And if you recognize that, just the way it's translated, you would understand then that that word praying is connected to a lead verb. And that would be the case here. And you might say, well, what's the lead verb it's connected to? You have to go back to 614. Look there. There's the lead verb, the opening phrase, stand. The thought is, therefore. And so when you put that together, it's the ideal of stand, therefore, by praying, if you will, with all prayer. And I think what Paul's doing here is he's giving these pieces of the armor and he's allowing us, if you will, to appropriate the resources of the armor of God and stand. But as one of those elements, he gives us prayer. So you could say that the book in chapter one begins in the heavenlies, but beloved, it ends on our knees is the thought. Now, as you come to the text, and this is going to be very practical, uh, Paul just gives the four alls of prayer, if you will. It shows you and provides for you the place of prayer in spiritual warfare. And so if you have your notebook out and you got a pad of paper, I want to give you something for the rest of your life. I mean, certainly the cure for anxiety in a pandemic age, one of those outlets very clearly in the Word of God and here is prayer, but it's not just for the time we live in, it's for the rest of your life. It's for your life this week, it's for your life tomorrow. So you want to get a pen out because I told you in this series I've begun with the application rather than the exposition. I was planning, and I think I will get to Matthew 6 if you want me to carry on, and, uh, and I'll get there, but I, we're on this application in Ephesians 6. So here's the four alls of prayer. You say, Scott, why do you call it the four alls? Look at verse 18. It's not hard. Praying at all times, with all prayer, all prayer and supplication, to the end to keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. So there it is. Now, I just want to recognize that I don't think all prayer is a piece of God's armor, but I would say to you, at least in the the language here, I do believe that prayer is the ultimate weapon in our fight against the rulers against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. So as you track with me, we looked at the shield of faith. That's defensive. Then we gave the two offensive weapons. One of those is the word of God. But the second weapon is all prayer. And I think the point is, is that prayer pervades all of the armor of God in everything we do. So write this down. Put it up on your fridge. 
Listen to this message again and then again and send it to someone. Let's look at these four alls of prayer. We'll begin with this. Pray always. Pray always. Look at the text in verse 18. There you can see it. He says, praying at all times. In other words, he, you can see that. We understand that. Praying at all times. He's not giving us a, a set time here. We are, you are, to pray at all times. It's not as though you're called just to pray at meals, just to pray at difficult times, just to pray at difficult relationships. You're to pray, the Bible says, Paul says here, after you put all the armor on, to pray at all times. And this is the refrain of Scripture to write down a few of them. In Luke 21, 6, he told the disciples that during the coming end of the world, that they need to stay awake at all times praying. Stay awake at all times praying. In fact, you remember in the book of Acts in 6.4, Acts 6.4, where the apostles said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. Continually praying. It says to us in Romans 12.12 to be constant in prayer. In other words, you take every opportunity. In fact, in Romans 12, 12, it says patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. Have you been constant this week in prayer? Have you more complained about the governor? I'm just asking. I'm trying to look at this. He wants us to be constant in prayer. In fact, in Philippians 1, 4, it says always offering prayer or in every prayer the thought is that as Paul prayed for the Philippian church he was always offering prayer he says into the Colossian church or to the church at Colossae in 1 3 I thank my God always for you this is the refrain of scripture and here's the first all of prayer to pray always You say, well, Scott, is it good to have a set time of prayer? Sure it is. Yes, you start there, okay? But David said in Psalm 55, verse 17, evening, morning, and at noon, I will complain and murmur. (laughs) I like that. Evening, morning, and noon. I'm complaining and murmuring. In other words, he's praying always and praying even in our context here when anxious or in this battle. Jesus even said in Luke 6, 12, that it says that before he picked his disciples, he continued all night in prayer. This is the teaching of Scripture. 1 Timothy 5, 5, the widows, it says there, prayed day and night. In other words, I'll bring this down to you, it's a way of life. Prayer becomes like breathing inhaling, exhaling. In other words, he's not just telling you to get one set time, start with that, but he's telling you, he's telling my own heart, you're to be praying always. In fact, I begin to think about it that even prayer is, how would I say this, more important than knowledge. I mean, we value, you value knowledge at GCV. Of course we do. We preach expositionally from the Word of God. We meticulously go through our doctrinal statement. We train future missionaries in our doctrine, and rightfully so, and we've been blessed from day one in this place with great resources, great people, great blessings. But if we're not careful, we can become pumped up with pride. And all of a sudden, we're talking about the armor, and we forget all prayer. One of my favorite heroes in the faith, Lloyd-Jones, put it like this, and I'm doing soul-searching in my own heart. He said, our ultimate position as Christians is tested by the character of our prayer life. He said, it is more important than knowledge, more important than understanding. He said that I spend most of my life trying to show the importance of having a knowledge of the truth and an understanding of it. That is vitally important. 
He said, there is only one thing that is more important. And Lloyd-Jones says, it is prayer. He said that the ultimate test of my understanding of the scriptural teaching is the amount of time I spend in prayer. He said, if all my knowledge does not lead me to prayer, there is something wrong somewhere. The value of knowledge is that it gives me such an understanding of the value of prayer that I devote time in prayer and delight in prayer if it does not produce these results in my life. There is something wrong about it. End of quote. So Paul just says here, you, my own heart, are to pray at all times, not just set times. In fact, if you were to go to Israel, and when I was there last, you'd go to the wailing wall, and there's just something about turning that corner and coming into that spot at the wailing wall And then seeing a number of Jewish men genuflecting, if you will, in front of the wailing wall and praying sometimes uh, hours through their prayers, reciting those prayers. But I don't think that's the key of what Paul is addressing here by the Spirit of God. He's not talking about praying only in the morning. He's not talking about only praying at night. He's not even necessarily, you understand, pray at all times, not talking about a set time. You say, well, what does this mean to me if I'm a junior at high school? It means this, that God begins to come, become the filter through which your life is lived before God. In other words, Paul, and I want to say this, is encouraging you that your whole life is before God in communication. In other words, everything you do, every place you go, every appointment that you have, every fear that comes, every anxiety that comes, you and I are commanded to pray at all times. You're to walk with him, the song says, to talk with him. You are to abide in him. You become, in this sense, God conscience, and you, as Paul said in, is it Colossians, to set your mind on the things above. It's not just talking about bowing your head in the morning or bowing your head at night. And I just want to encourage you with that. You're to pray always. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, you're to be constant in prayer. You need him every moment. You need him. We just sang every hour, right? I need thee, that great hymn says, every hour. Stay thou nearby. Temptation lose their power when thou art nigh. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Let me just encourage you. I don't know what your prayer life looks like. I don't know the guilt that you feel because of what you're not or because of what I'm not. But I want you to know there's an unleashing here that after you put on all prayer or all the armor, you're to put on all prayer and he begins with pray always. But there's a second all. Look at the text. He says not only to pray always, but pray for everything. Look at verse 18. It's the second phrase. With all prayer and supplication. Now, the thought here is to pray for everything. And and here, he says, with all prayer, prayer is just a very general word in the scripture, and it means request. And then he uses the word supplication. That's the ESV translation, supplication. And that refers to a specific request. So he says, with all prayer, general request, and with all supplication, specific request. And the, the, the idea here is it points to every kind of prayer, if you will. The variety of prayer. You are, and I'm just encouraging you, to pray for everything. Not just the big things, but to pray for everything. In every crisis, in every problem, in every trial for your family, in sickness, 
for our church. You can pray in every circumstance of every conceivable kind. So when you think, how do I pray always? You hear on the second purpose of the second of all prayers, you pray for everything. I remember as a little boy, uh, growing up in Canoga Park, I, uh, I began to cry out to the Lord when I was young. I remembered it this week. I was in the backyard of my cousin, who now lives in Fresno, and I was just a little boy, I don't know, five, six, maybe, and I had a hammer in my hand. And I went into the backyard, and I went in over to the side of the backyard, and I saw this can. It was just a, a can. Well, you can understand, it was a paint can. And as I took the hammer to it, I took the hammer down on it, and I just loved the way the can dented. I just thought, this is the coolest thing. Here's a hammer. I wielded down that hammer as a little boy, and um, I just thought it was so cool that the, the, the paint can just, boom, it just dented. So I hit it a second time. This is cool. A third time, and then I rolled it over, and I think, it's just cool what a hammer does. And then on the fifth time, I thought, I'm going to really nail this. And as I brought the hammer down, you understand that can of black spray paint exploded. And it exploded all over the house, the side of that house. But even more, it exploded all over me to the point where I had black paint from that spray paint can in my mouth, in my teeth, on my face, in my ears, in my hair, all over my body, I looked like a Dalmatian, okay? And I began to call out on the Lord as a young boy. But you know, as I thought about that, I didn't know God at that point, but I thought when you get in a situation like that, you can pray for everything. I think what Paul is saying here is, he's, he's just saying pray at all times for everything in all positions. In fact, biblically, you can pray on your knees, you can pray with your hands up, you can pray with your hands folded, you can pray in public, you can pray in private, you can pray verbally, you can pray silently, you can pray with a loud cry, you can pray with a whisper, you can pray when it's planned, you can pray spontaneously, you can, this can come in the form of a request, it could come in the form of thanksgiving. It could come in the form of confession. It could come and should come in the form of praise. But you, can st- you could pray, if you will, kneeling. You could pray standing. You can pray lying prostrate. You are to pray always in all ways for everything. In other words, praying for everything makes you understand praying always. A woman at work received a very serious phone call. The phone call was from the babysitter that her daughter at home was very sick. So she immediately left work and she stopped by the pharmacy to get some medicine. And and when she returned to the car, she found that, it's happened before maybe to you, that she had locked her keys in the car. And the babysitter told her that her daughter was getting worse by the minute. And the babysitter told this mom to get a coat hanger and use that to open the door. The woman was desperate, so she looked around, found an old rusty coat hanger on the ground, and she looked at the hanger and said, I don't know how to use this. And so this desperate mother bowed her head head and asked God to send her some help. And within five minutes, an old car pulled up right next to her. And out of the car, this is the story, true, a dirty, greasy, bearded man got out of the car And he had a biker skull rag on his head and 
It didn't look good. And the woman thought to herself, God, this is who you sent to help me? But she was desperate. And so the man got out of his car and asked her if he could help. And she said, yes, my daughter is very sick. I locked my keys in the car. Can you help me? Well, he walked over to the car, and in less than one minute, the car was opened. And you can imagine that anxious mother, she hugged the man and through tears said, thank you so much. And she said, you are a very nice man. And the man replied, lady, he said, I am not a nice man. I just got out of prison today. I was in prison for car theft and have only been out for about an hour. And the woman hugged the man again and with sobbing tears cried out loud, thank you God for sending me a professional. (laughs) She prayed. And God sent her a professional. Listen, we laugh at that. But I'm asking you, as I asked my own heart, do you pray for everything? Or have you spent more time this week watching all the news of the latest announcements? And as you keep watching those unfold, maybe, your anxiety thermometer is going up. Your worry thermometer is going up. And there is an issue last week we said of godly concern. But listen, hear what Paul is doing. He's giving you an offensive weapon. Here's the, here's the sword, if you will. The machaira of the word of God, the sword. You take it up. And here's the second weapon of all prayer. You know this scriptures. These scriptures, Philippians 4, 6, uh, uh, think about it this way. I think it comes up on the screen. You know this one by heart, but let it put feet to Paul's language here. Do not be anxious about what? Anything. Now, just for the sake of a definition, just stop there just for a second. What is anxiety? Anxiety always relates to the future. (laughs) Just what it is. It's not a reality per se. It's something that pertains to the future. Something in light of your present circumstance that is actually locking you up, that is coming next week, next month, next year. Maybe some of you have lost part of your retirement as all have within these last months. But Paul says to you mothers out there, mothers of two, three, four, five, six, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, and here's our word again, by prayer, general word, by supplication, specific request, with thanksgiving, and I just stop, I had to catch myself, how joyful are you? But here, prayer, you bring it to God, you bring everything to him, that's the point here, and you do that with thanksgiving. You let your request, which is what prayer is, a request, be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, I just want to encourage you. I don't know what you think about prayer. I don't know the guilt that might even overcome you at some points, how bad you feel about it. I want to encourage you. You pray always. You pray about everything. Did not the apostle Peter, who actually was very much a worrier, big strong fisherman, but he got concerned and so in the garden he pulls out his machaira and he cuts the guy's ear off. He loved it so much at the transfiguration. He said, Lord, let's just stay here and let's make, make some boosts for all these. He, I think he got anxious. I think when he walked on water and he was kept his eyes on Christ, he's walking on water. But when he looked at the waves tumbling about him, he, he got anxious. But at the end of his life, you know that he said this on the next slide. First Peter 5, 7, casting not some of your anxieties, all of them on him. Why? I love that tender phrase. Because he cares for you. 
So here it is, beloved. You pray always, but secondly, you pray for everything and all prayer and all supplication. Thirdly, look at the text. You pray persistently. He says in 18 in the middle, to that end, keep alert. He says, with all perseverance. I'll just capture that third all of prayer is to pray persistently or to pray literally with all perseverance. Beloved, you know and I know that your enemy never sleeps. So the refrain of the New Testament, the Old Testament, is be on the alert. In fact, Peter, who we just quoted, said your adversary, you know it by heart, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to what? To devour. And so here, Paul says to stay alert, pray. Pray persistently. He said this in Luke 18, 1. And it was the Lord Jesus, but the truth is there. He told them a parable. And here's what it says in Luke 18, 1. That they ought always to pray that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. In other words, you can make this equation. If you don't pray, you will lose heart. So I just want you to know even this morning that he gives you this armor. But after giving, is it six pieces of the armor? He says, pervade all that armor in all prayer to pray always, to pray for everything, to pray persistently, and in Luke 18, 1, you pray so you don't lose hearts. Satan announced, the story goes, that he was going out of business, and we know that he's not out of business, but walk with me on this account, that he was going out of business, and that he would offer his tools for sale to whoever would pay the price for them. So at the sale, they were all displayed attractively, his tools. Malice was there. Hatred was there. Envy was there. Jealousy, sensuality, deceit. And each of those tools was marked with its own price. But in the far corner, a harmless looking kind of wedge-shaped tool, kind of like a a doorstop, which was very worn, was priced higher than all of his other tools. So someone asked Satan, what is it? And Satan responded and said, that's discouragement, he replied. And somebody said, why do you have that price so high? And Satan said, it's more useful to me than many of the others. He said, because I can pry open a man's mind with this when I cannot get him with any of the others. He uses discouragement. You may be discouraged even this morning. And the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to pray persistently. Persistently. It's there in 18. He says to keep to that end, keep alert. With all perseverance, isn't it interesting that when the Lord Jesus Christ was in the garden and he went off to pray and he's sweating great drops of blood, he came back to find the disciples, what? Sleeping. Came back a couple times and they're sleeping and they were sleeping certainly out of fatigue but even more so out of discouragement. Do you remember, I don't have time to take you into this. You can look at it on your own. Luke, two illustrations of the... The, the ideal of persistent prayer. Do you remember in Luke chapter 18? It was about the unjust judge and a woman who the woman was an older lady. She was a widow. And she kept coming to this judge in Luke 18, begging and begging and begging and begging and begging. And finally, the unjust judge did what she wanted. He gave in to her. And listen, the Lord is saying if an unjust judge will give something to a persistent widow, what do you think a just God will give to his own children if you persist in prayer? 
Listen, I don't know where you are, but maybe you've given up on something. Maybe you're so discouraged that a wedge has got in there. And the Lord Jesus says, you ought to pray always and not lose hearts. That's Luke 18. Then there's another one in Luke 11. The friend pounds. Remember that one? He's just pounding on his friend's door. And the man finally gets up and he says, I'm in bed and so is my wife and so is my kids. I'm not getting up, but he pounds and pounds at the door and it's a friend. And so the guy finally says, okay. And he gives him the bread in Luke 11. And what our Lord is saying, if a sleeping man who's asleep will come down and get himself up and give his friend bread to somebody banging on the door, what do you think a loving father will give to his child who has such a need if you would but persistently pray? You need to persistently pray. Are you praying? Pray always. Pray for everything. And here, pray persistently. Do you remember even at the the garden, I believe, in Mark 14, Jesus instructed his disciples to watch and pray so that you don't come into what? Temptation. You just need to watch and pray so that you don't come into temptation. Listen, beloved, we are in an invisible war. In fact, I wanted to bring another prop today and I didn't. I wanted to just put something in gift wrap, a bag, and I want it to be the weapon of all prayer. And then I was gonna open the gift wrap, uh, the bag, and inside was gonna be nothing. And you're gonna say, what kind of present is that? Well, certainly, God has gift-wrapped this wonderful, wonderful means that we can cure the evil one and anxiety and the battle and stand firm and stand strong, and it's all prayer, but it's an invisible weapon fighting an invisible war. So be watchful, be alert, persist in prayer. You can finish the sentence with me. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray without what? ceasing pray I just I want to encourage you maybe you've stopped praying for your grandson or your granddaughter maybe you've stopped praying for our president and our governor listen pray without ceasing and obviously it's not I didn't teach this just because of the situation we're in you could be a dad here and you're wondering how do you care for your kids and how do you lead them you can pray persistently don't give up In fact, I was reminded of that phrase when I thought, never give up, never give up. I was thinking of Winston Churchill. Remember that great famous speech? I think it was either the the movie was the darkest hour, but I think the speech was the, it was, uh, you know, the the war that we're in, the, the finest hour. And he went on to say in that battle of launching towards Germany that we're gonna, fight them in the oceans, we're going to fight them in the beaches, we're going to fight them on the lands, we're going to fight them here, there, and he just said, we're never going to give up, never going to get, you know, just never going to give up. Listen, that's a, a leader calling his nation to action and really calling the world to action to never give up. You're to never give up in prayer. So pray always, pray for everything, pray persistently, and, and just the final one as we wrap up here. It says here, can you see it there at the end of verse 18? He says, making supplication, specific request, right? For all the, what? Saints. I love that. Other passages do say, I get it. Pray for unbelievers, Romans 9, Romans 10, other places. Some passages tell us to pray for the government. We understand that. But here, the object of our prayers is the saints. Maybe I should say the indirect object of our prayers. All prayers to be given to the glory of God. But here in that fourth component of all prayer, he says pray for this phrase, all the saints. All the saints. If you think we're battling something, then you should see what's going on in some places around the world Certainly we have our own issues here, but 1 Samuel 12, 23, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I was reminded even just late in my week of the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. 
but I have prayed for you. The Lord Jesus was praying specifically for Peter because in some way the devil came to him and wanted to sift Peter like wheat. And he said, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So I'm asking you, asking my own heart, do you pray for all the saints? Do you pray for the saints at Grace Church of the Valley? So many of you do, and that's so encouraging. Are you moms praying throughout the day? It's not been easy, right? You've turned into a teacher and a mother all in the... But you pray for the saints. Maybe you teach your kids how to pray for the saints. This is what Paul did to the Philippians. It's so convicting what he did with the Colossians, what he prayed for always to the church at Rome. He told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 3, constantly remembering you, he said, in my prayers day and night. 2 Timothy 1, 3. In other words, let me make this implication to you. Prayer, at least at this component, is outside of yourself. It's not only for you. It's outside of yourself for all the saints. It's not just about you. In fact, before the outbreak of the Spanish Civil War, Spain, uh, 1936, Spain was experienced such an epidemic. I was reading this week of neurosis and uh, neurosis or somebody who's neurotic would be defined as somebody who is just excessively anxious. Not just anxious, but excessively anxious. We'd say, uh, sometimes they use that term neurotic. They're, they're, uh, they're excessively moody. And there was such a problem before the outbreak of the war that the psychiatrist couldn't handle them all, okay? But the war, destructive as it was, had an unexpected effect of curing thousands of Spain's neurotics, this article said. When they became concerned about their family, when they became concerned about their friends, when they became concerned about their country, instead of their own problems, their neurosis disappeared and hospitals, the article went on to say, were practically emptied. And the writer said that these neurotic people were suddenly cured by a greater anxiety, an anxiety that reached beyond their own selfish welfare. The anxiety about their life, whether their homes would still be there, whether their husbands would still be alive, whether their children would be killed, and having to give themselves to the bigger problem, they forgot about their own problems. Let me ask, are you praying for all the saints you say, well, Scott, what do I pray for them on? Well, I can't go into it here, but if you just go back to Ephesians 1, he's got a great prayer there in 1.15 down through 23. He said in 15, for this reason I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your love toward all the saints. Verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then he prays that. You go pray that for the saints in 16 through 23. Then in chapter 3 of Ephesians, he said in 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, and from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he would grant you to be strengthened with power, 316, in the inner being, so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, would it may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge? There's a couple of prayers that you can pray. I can give you a third one. Look in verse, chapter 6, verse 19. It's just the next phrase. It says there, and also for me. Isn't that interesting? Paul says pray for all the saints, but he, he says in 19, pray also for me. You say, well, what's he praying about? For me. Oh, they're praying about that he has a, he's in prison. No. Paul's saying, would you just pray for me? I got a rash on my leg. This chain that I'm bound in is so awful. Would you have some medicine sent to me? No. You say, well, what's he praying for? Well, you look in verse 19. He says that the words, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Let me ask you, are we praying for the saints and praying for Paul and 
May I say, would you pray for me, the preacher, that I would be able to boldly speak the gospel? You know, I called one of our members this week who's in radiation, radiation for cancer, six weeks in a row, five days a week, and I called him to encourage him. And I got my friend on the phone, you probably know it's George Jackson, first day, he's down in Fresno, or up in Fresno, I should say, George, how you doing? How's that first round of chemo? He said, Scott, you won't believe it. I go, what? He goes, I was sitting in the office and they got a little behind schedule and there's six guys in there and I'm talking to them all about the Lord. I said, really? I called to encourage you, George, tell me more. He just said they were talking and you know, George is just gonna talk about his faith and talk about what God's doing and talk about the blessing on his life to the point where after some of the other men then descended back for their own radiation. One other believer said, hey, I'd like to pray for you. That's praying for all the saints. And I just don't want to become a church where you begin to complain and grumble and lose your thanksgiving. And I'm not sure that we are. I'd rather have us become a church like George Jackson's, where as we pray for his radiation, we're praying for the boldness of the gospel to go out. You know, I wondered if we're more concerned this week with the situation which we find ourselves in, which we understand the, the difficulty of that. Or are you more concerned with one of our members named Glenn? Glenn's a man in our flock. I've called him three weeks in a row. He's got cancer that has filled his body and there's nothing they can do. So when I call him, and I, don't, I doubt that he's watching, here, he's older. He just said, oh, pastor, thank you for calling me. Um, I just want to go home. I, I just, I just want to be with the Lord. And I just call him. Others are calling him to encourage him. And my point in saying that to you is this. You praying for all the saints? Do you know about Glenn? If you don't know about Glenn and you'd like to reach out to him and pray for him or call him, you can contact David Morris, and maybe David as our member care pastor could make sure that that's not overwhelming. I just, and, and if I don't make the need known, then how would we know? I called another guy in our flock. I won't say who, but I love him and his wife. And I just called him and he's just so joyful. And I said, hey, I just wanted to check with you if you're getting, you know, the emails or able to watch live stream. Oh, Pastor Scott, I, I don't even have a cell phone. Now, for you young people, you're thinking, what do you mean he doesn't have a cell phone? I I meant that. He doesn't have one of these. (laughs) And he doesn't have a computer. So that's why we need to pray for all the saints, both in our church and abroad and all of our missionaries. Paul just, I know, says, I pray for you night and day with tears. I just thought, I wish I could say that personally. And I would just encourage you, beloved, at some point you have to get away from the physical problems, the heart problems, the broken bones, the surgeries. Certainly there's a place for that. But honestly, I just want to say to you today, and you know this is true, that your battle is not really physical. Your battle is fighting an evil enemy who is firing his darts at you, who's using the wedge of discouragement. He's taking out the joy of your thanksgiving And Paul says, oh, listen, you're going to put the armor on. It's not magical. It's not mechanical. You don't just put it on and all of a sudden you come to life like the old cartoon show Shazam I used to watch where he went into a phone booth and spun around and he came out with superhero qualities. No, you put the armor on, you take it up, but you're pervading every piece of armor with prayer. And then he says to pray at all times in the spirit. In other words, with the spirit's help with the Spirit's guidance, with the Spirit's enablement. We don't know how we ought to pray. It says in Romans, it says, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groaning too deep for words. He who searches hearts and knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. The Spirit's gonna help you, guide you, walk with you. So that would be my prayer. 
for us. Do you, you understand it? Here's some defensive pieces, at least the shield of faith. But then he gives two offensive weapons to you. And he tells you to take it up. And those weapons are the word of God, one weapon. The second weapon is all prayer. So you take those weapons up and all the armor of God, it's going to allow you to stand. And so maybe could you say it properly with me? Ready, aim, what? Pray, okay? Pray always. Pray for everything. Pray persistently. And pray for all the saints. 